Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rijs, and we are joined by on location Don Bazette, who looks like he's still in the Bundy house in Chicago, uh, but is actually out at RSA. Don, how's it going out there? It is going great. Yeah, I'm in uh, sunny San Francisco, which is uh, pretty crazy. A lot of conferences have been canceled over the last two years, and RSA was one of them. But this year, a uh, huge turnout, 20,000 people here, and just a, a great chance to get out and meet people again and kind of pretend like the pandemic never happened. Yeah, that's almost like I don't know if that's pre-pandemic numbers for RSA. I think maybe a little bit lower, but that's still. I think it's lower. Yeah, and, and well, because RSA is normally out there in in June, so it's good to, uh, like you said, sunny San Francisco. Normally, it's like rainy and foggy San Francisco at RSA. Yeah, it's it's normally the beginning of the year in February. Yeah, well, and you had the talk yesterday with uh, John Hammond, John Strand, uh, Rita Gurovich. Uh, how'd that go? It went great. You know, we were talking about the the myth of the cybersecurity job shortage, which was kind of fun. We had a split panel. Some people believed it was a myth. Some people believed it's a real thing. We talked about the conditions around it. It was a fun talk. And I, I believe RSA is going to make that available for streaming eventually. But uh, I hope you all get a chance to watch it. it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, we will let you know, of course, if that is available and share it out with you. And we're also joined by Daniel, who is not anywhere exciting. Uh, Daniel, you're in the room with me. Ahoy, hoy. I'm How sorry. How's it today, that. sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. good. Yeah, good. exciting. I've got nothing to ask you about. Yeah, well, I'm glad we had this chance to dialogue. <laughs> well, the last couple of weeks, uh, we looked at, there were a couple events. What was it? Like Computex and uh, uh, what was the other one? What was the other event that we talked about? All the things from Apple? Uh, no, uh, Google, Google I.O. Google I.O. This week, we've got some uh, Apple WWDC stuff to get into, but our first article is actually on the Windows side. We're looking at bleepingcomputer.com. Microsoft adds support for WSL2 distros on Windows Server 2022. And I, I didn't realize that that wasn't there yet, because I know we've talked a lot about WSL recently. So uh, what is the what's like the special use case here for this? Yeah, so uh, WSL, the Windows subsystem for Linux, if, uh, if you're not familiar with it, we've talked about it on the podcast a number of times, but it allows you to run Linux sort of in a virtual machine, but it's all hidden from you. So you just see that you're opening up a command prompt and you're on a Linux system, which is really cool. It was rolled out as an alpha, then a beta, then it kind of became a mainstream feature for Windows desktop operating systems. So Windows 10, Windows 11, they've all got it. Uh, but only now are they rolling it out on Windows Server 2022? So if you have a Windows Server 2022 machine and you have a need to access WSL, it's now a supported feature. Now it's, it's released right now for people that go and manually download the update. It'll probably be another month or two before it becomes just available to everybody. And then as far as the use case, if you, there, there's a few scenarios for this, right? But if you're in a Windows environment and you have access or need to access a Linux type resource, well, now you can do it without actually spinning up a dedicated machine that you have to maintain. WSL would be maintained right alongside Windows with the regular Windows updates and so on. So it makes it super easy to carry that payload. There's plenty of times where you find applications, software, or even simple scripts sometimes that are written for Bash that wouldn't normally run under Windows. So you'd have to rewrite them in PowerShell or reinvent the wheel. Now you don't have to do that. You can just quickly spin up WSL2, run your script, 
be done with it and, and close it down again. So kind of a neat function there uh, and lets people start to, to dip their toes into the waters of, of using Linux. Well, it's going to make for a nicer work environment because all those people that would have to write it in PowerShell now don't have to go through that frustration. They can just use Bash. Don, are you familiar with – because I think Wes and I were talking about this and it was just like he, he had a legitimate question. Why would a Windows administrator – on a Windows server system, why would they care about having that? Obviously, there are some scripts and stuff that could be run. But are you familiar with, like, some of the more common – I mean, scripts are usually kind of homegrown or maybe you downloaded them or whatever. What are some of the common Linux binary packages? Because it will run Elf binaries, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. What, what would be some of those tools that we see in the Windows world that are like, man, it's so nice to have this in my Windows cool. world? Let me, I'll give you a, an example. Um, are you familiar? Of course, you're familiar with John the Ripper, right? That oh, yeah. password brute force utility. So they have a Windows binary that they release. But if you want the latest one and you don't want to pay for it, you have to download the source code and compile it yourself. Well, I, I'm not even sure if they make the Windows source code available, but even if they did, compiling applications around on Windows is kind of a pain in the butt versus compiling it for the Linux command line is super easy. So if I want the latest version of John the Ripper and I don't want to pay for it, I can just spin up a Linux VM, download that code, compile it real quick, and bam, I've got the utility. And then I can run it in the WSL session and it does exactly what you need it to do. And I didn't have to mess about on the Windows side versus on the Windows side where I might have to download and install a number of different libraries and start mucking up my base operating system with stuff that I don't want to be around for a long time. Now I just do it in WSL, and when you're done, you can just reset WSL, and it goes back to being fresh and clean again, or you can just remove it all together, and that's it. So that's really, I think that's one of the primary use cases for having this, where you want to run certain payloads on top of Windows Server, but otherwise, Linux is free. You could bring it up in a VM. You could bring it up in Azure or AWS. So, you know, there, there's other ways if you're doing something permanent. This would be more like temporary things. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I use WSL on my Windows machine at home, and it could becomes like super handy for, oh, I've got to grep through a bunch of files. Or, you know, in, in the Linux world, I'm, I'm a whiz at that stuff. You start trying to get me in doing that kind of stuff in PowerShell or just the old command prompt, I'm a... I'm a little more sketchy on that. So I like being able to go, oh, I can run to my safety net of Linux inside of my Windows machine. So I find it great there. Plus, it does increase the if, – if I find myself in a Windows machine while I'm doing you know, penetration testing, hacking stuff, it increases the attack surface. I can now start using my tried-and-true Linux methods for privilege escalation or things of that nature. You know, it's, it's funny you mention that. Like You and I are on the same page because my, my home computer, I do the exact same thing. It's running Windows. But if I open a command prompt, I have my command prompt set to default to my WSL shell. So it dumps me right into uh, uh, Ubuntu. And what I like about it, because you could just run it in a VM if you wanted yourself, but when you use WSL, like it's already got your local file system mounted. Yep. So, you know, if you have a C drive, a D drive and an E drive, they're in slash MNT slash C slash MNT slash E. And so you can just jump around between them. Um, I find that the SSH client is more reliable inside of WSL than it is through the Pi native one in Windows. Dude, Python in WSL is just so much more of an easier task than yeah. trying to install it into Windows. It's kind of a pain. And I know there's probably like some Python hardcores out there like, oh, it's not that bad. For you, that might be true. For me, it was like, this seems like I'm going around my elbow to get to my butthole, you know? It doesn't make a lot of sense on how <laughs> this is working. Uh, and then it's like, oh, or I can just install WSL and, oh, look, Python, apt install, bam, I'm done. Start having a good time. 
So the takeaway here is that WSL helps Daniel get to his butthole faster. Yes, yes. Yeah, and just just a PSA for those at home, keep your elbow away from there. Um, Well, have you ever tried (laughs) that? Go around your elbow to wipe your ass. <laughs> All right. right, yeah, that's that's a little harder than it looks. No, I got one of those bidet attachments. Oh, there you go. That's like thirty-five bucks on Amazon. It's, and it's worth it. Best thirty-five bucks you'll ever spend, except my water bill is through the roof. Oh man, sit there for hours. Just sits there on HydroClean. Hours. That's where I watch uh, TV now. It's like two hundred psi. Yeah. Just yeah, pressure. Water. I don't know which part of this conversation disturbs me more. <laughs> Uh, I do. <laughs> I do. Uh, all it's right. probably let's, the bidet part, right? Let's move on to something else that was pretty disturbing uh, in the last week or so. Uh, this one comes to us from PBS.org, uh, brought to you by your uh, your local PBS station and the letter M. I don't know, this week. Uh, all right, this one says, FBI Director Christopher Ray says agency blocked planned cyber attack on Children's Hospital. And look, I get it. You know, criminals, they got to make money. Uh, but but there's a special place in hell for uh, children's hospital hackers, I would say. And this was was a place up in Boston, right? Uh, Boston Children's Hospital. Boston. There you go. Aptly named. Wonder how they came up with that. Um, but they had a uh, creative meeting. So, so my question is, is this a situation where the hack started to happen and they reached out to the FBI, or did the FBI come in and swoop in before this attack even made it on their radar? Yeah. So I. I have said a couple of times that uh, I feel like our government is not doing enough to protect our, our our businesses, our hospitals, our schools, you know, just that we're constantly under attack. And I feel like the government's not doing enough about it. Uh, so when I hear about something like this, where the government took action, I always want to report on it. I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they actually are doing stuff. They just can't always talk about it. This one's a little suspect to me um, in this scenario. The, the hospital had actually dealt with the FBI before. They had had another incident several years ago where someone pulled off an attack, uh, a hacktivist. And uh, so they had worked with the FBI. They already kind of had a relationship there. And so when they came under a cyber attack, they were able to reach out to their contacts at the FBI and get some action. Now, most of us don't have that that benefit. Like we don't have a, a personal contact inside of the FBI and a case history and all that stuff. Uh, so the hospital kind of had something that the rest of us don't. Then we don't really get any details. I was not able to find details anywhere on this on what exactly did the FBI do to stop it? Like for all I know, they just went and turned the internet connection off and there you go, problem solved. Uh, but apparently attackers were trying to compromise systems at the hospital. And the, the pattern lately has been to deploy ransomware, lock down the machines and then you know exploit them for a ransom. A children's hospital draws a little additional PR because you know you're you're harming the children, which we don't want to have happen. So that's a, a bit of a negative. But I'm I'm still kind of on the fence on this one, and I, I kind of wanted to get uh, Daniel's perspective on this. Like, you know, do we really feel that this is an example we should all follow? Should should companies, when we feel like we're under attack, reach out to the FBI right away, or is it just not worth it yet? And what do you think about the children, Daniel? Yeah, the children are great. I like children. Those are those they're are good things. I have three of them. Yeah, they're amazing. They're, they're the future. Uh, so yeah, let's protect those because I like that. As far as like whether or not we should reach out to the FBI, I mean, it, it's a, it's a weird scenario because, like you said, they've they've kind of had uh, dealings before. Therefore, they had this like you know 
what's the word I'm looking for? They had this adjacency to the FBI that a lot of us don't have the pleasure of, of having. So, I mean, if you were in their spot, would you not reach out to everything that you had? To, and of course, this happened like last year, right? Like they're just now telling us that this occurred and that happened last year. These, these are the details I could find. That it happened last year. They were able to stop it. That Iran was the culprit, but they were using like hacker mercenaries. Hmm. So they're basically like outsourcing this. Do I run to the FBI to stop the attack? I mean... Where, where else do you go? I mean, wh- if I have yeah. that as a resource, I'm probably going to do it. I mean, maybe Israel. Go to Israel. They, yeah. They, I mean. They're not big fans. Yeah, Israel. Uh, so the, the FBI has been criticized about how they they will put more priority on stopping the attackers than they will on protecting the victims. And we reported on this last year that uh, the FBI came out and announced they were releasing the decryption key for a ransomware package. They were saying, hey, if you got hit by this ransomware package, here's the decryption key so you can decrypt your data and get it back without paying the ransom. But it turned out they had that key for two months. (laughs) And so if you got hit by that ransomware, were you just supposed to sit on your hands for two months and then just hope that you get the key and then de- no. So most companies either lost data or they paid the ransom and you know, ransom their data back. So the FBI was so focused on catching the, the criminals that they didn't take the time to be able to share the key. And they, they said that if we shared the key, it would have let the attackers know that we were in their system. Well, all right. Well, I, I know there's a balance there, but that, that starts to make you think like, if, if I'm not going to benefit from calling the FBI, then why do it? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. And maybe this is just a, you know, that case is in a, it, it depends. As you know, their um, administration will change and then management will change and then policy will change. So it's a constant shifting sand on what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. We, we see a lot of inconsistency when it comes to even interdepartmental, right? So it might you you might call today and get one answer, and then the same exact thing happen to you tomorrow, and you call again and get a different answer. So maybe through even the inconsistency of it and their inability to to be consistent in how they respond yeah. makes them not great. Now, does that mean you turn them off as a as a source? Not entirely, I would say. You, I mean, you want to have every avenue of possibility of help. It's just maybe you don't that. rely on them. Right, but you have to prioritize where you're going to go for your help. Obviously, we should be doing a frontline of defense kind of thing, right? Where the hospital, which obviously has large amounts of funds, should be investing in their cybersecurity platform, making sure that training is being done, that the tools and and, uh, things necessary to keep them safe are being invested into and deployed and done in the correct way. They're doing audits to make sure that. I mean, I was reading an article based off of this article saying a lot of times these hackers are now turning their attention towards hospitals because they are low-hanging fruit. They are not doing these things because they think, I'm not a big business, well, you absolutely are a big miss, especially in America. Like, yeah. like me- medical is a huge business. And now the rest the rest of the world is starting to catch wind of like, oh, they treat this as a, as a giant business, and, but also have government ties. So this is like, this is like a beautiful thing because if I gain access into some sort of healthcare provider, now I have access to their PHI plus whatever connectivity they have into the governments to their regulation and all that other stuff where they have to have insight into your, you know, through HIPAA. 
man, I'm, I'm best of both worlds, right? I... <laughs> yeah. And, you know, there were some interesting anecdotes in the article uh, talking about other companies and their response they've got from the FBI. So obviously, in this case, a very positive. The, the hospital, they were able to work with the FBI, stop the attack, protect their system. So that's great. That's like a, a best case scenario. But there have been some not so great scenarios. And they had one quote. It was a Fortune 500 company saying, they reached out to the FBI and the FBI offered their hostage negotiator. They said, here, yeah, we'll, we'll make a negotiator available. But this was a hostage negotiator, not like a ransomware. It wasn't a cybersecurity yeah. person. There was so no just, gun to someone's head. My data was, is the yeah. hostage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We need so, proof uh, of life. Yeah. What are your demands? So, it would be like getting Fox and Scully to come out looking for <laughs> Sasquatch versus ransomware. <laughs> Obviously, this is alien technology. Mm-hmm. Chupacabra, yeah. definitely. Chupacabra. We can get you our chupacabra expert. Oh man, this guy is amazing when it comes to chupacabra. He's got a lot of time in his hands. Yeah. All right. Guys, like, well, I eat chalupas all the time. Yeah. I guess it's like a chupacabra. Got a weird fetish, but you know, you, you overlook that. Hey, look, Apple. <laughs> There's uh, an Apple. Apple uh, WWDC happened. That's why I saw all this news coming across my feed about iPhones and crap. Yeah. Uh, and and we're going to talk <laughs> about some of that. Oh, I saw it. It's hard to avoid the coverage, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, because yeah. I saw something. There's like, hey, here's leaked shots of the the new iPhone. It looks exactly like. All looks like a phone. Yeah. yeah, but if it's in the EU now, apparently starting 2024, it's got to have uh, USB-C. So that's, that's correct. Yeah. That's correct. All right, but uh, let's talk about the uh, the big story from The Verge. Apple announces a new flagship M2 processor. So we've talked so much about the M1 on here and how great it is. Well, that sucks now. The M2 <laughs> is where it's at, and why is the M2 better, and why, why should we? Because that's how numbers it? work. Well, two isn't necessarily <laughs> better right. than one. Yeah. Huh. I don't know what school you went to, sir. <laughs> yeah, that's my shampoo conditioner, two in that's one. That's right, two in one. Do you remember the the early days of the Pentium, right? So the Pentium came out. And then when the Pentium 2 came out, that was a pretty big deal. But it was a a shift for Intel because they used to increment their big numbers. They went from the 8086 to the 286 to the 386 to the 486. The Pentium was technically the 586. And then they stopped. They never went to a 686 or 786. And that was because... Their, their incremental gains were not as significant as they used to. Like each processor version that came out just wasn't that much better than the one before. Well, Apple hasn't learned that lesson yet. So with the, the M2, it's the next generation of their M1 processor, but it's not a huge leap. And Apple's marketing, they're the first ones to tell you that a product is revolutionary and the best processor they've ever made. But even they couldn't hide the fact that it's only about an 18% performance gain over the M1. So if you have the the comparable amount of cores on an M1 and an M2, you're really going to get about a 20% speed boost. Now, that's not nothing. So, you know, there's some value there, but it's not upgrade neighborhood for me. So if you're on an M1 system, there's not really anything that's pushing you to jump to an M2. The M2 is being released in the uh, the Airbooks first, which is Apple's kind of lower end devices. So I expect it to be next year before we see the M2s that really make a difference. But it is showing that Apple's really committed to their own homegrown, uh, homegrown processors. They're going to continue developing those, and it's just going to keep evolving. If you if you're still on an Intel system, yeah, you'll want to jump <laughs> to an M2. Just skip over the He's M1. Like, yeah, I do. Yeah, this, but if this you're already on an M1, it's not worth the upgrade. All right, Don, I want to play. I want to play devil's advocate for you here because they said roughly around a twenty percent increase, which is roughly one fifth more 
than it was before, right? Put it in the perspective is that Alaska, is that a big place or a small place land-wise? Would you say? I believe, isn't it the biggest? Is it bigger than Texas? Yes, it is bigger than Texas. So would you say that it is a big place in Uh, your opinion? It does seem to be a big place. It It is one-fifth the size of the continental United States. Okay. So if you look at it on a map, it takes up quite a land. So would you then say that one-fifth is a significant increase at that point? Gotcha. Right? Ron. Nailed it. Nailed it. So, <laughs> like I said, I, I got no skin in the game. I'm just having fun. <laughs> if we were to lose Alaska, uh, well, that that's value proposition. That's not <laughs> that's not size. That's a that's a bad comparison, Don. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of nice things that come out of Alaska. There's a lot of nice people like there. But oil. Lose all the Discovery Channel shows. Yeah, that's true. They would be gone. And Growing up Alaska, buying yeah. Alaska. Bush people. Wilderness town. Yeah. I don't know. Isn't there one called Bush people? There is. Yeah. yeah Alaskan Bush that's, people. That's who now live in like Washington state. Do so they what really? are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. Not Bush person it, now. It is our main supply of moose, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, we'd lose that. They will kill you dead, yeah, by the we'd way. We'd have to start importing Canadian <laughs> meese. Those are the meese. I believe so. <laughs> is that the plural no, of moose? Probably not. Have you guys seen, it's a, a video that's doing the rounds right now of a moose diving off a cliff into the water? <laughs> no, but I, is, I now have my homework. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Like it totally dives into the water and then just swims away like it's nothing. And I don't mean a little dive either. This is. Huh. He's like uh, half double gainer, Like vacation, right? yeah. like cliff dive kind of. Yeah, it, it's it's like a cliff dive. Yeah, it's it's What's like wrong thirty with this feet moose? up or something. The one I saw recently, because I thought that's what you were going to say, was there was uh, like some people by by the water, I think in Alaska, and they were watching a a moose was chasing a bear, and the bear goes into the water, and the moose no is like, no way. problem, I'm I'm in the water yeah. too, and it's like chasing it in the water. <laughs> it's like come at me, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Bear's yeah, like, no uh, no yeah. bear was involved in this one, but oh. it's like the, the moose is halfway down a cliff <laughs> face, and I was watching it like, how's the moose going to get back up? And then it just jumps. <laughs> It's not apparently. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going for a swim, dude. Well, we've all got our homework. Uh, but anyway, uh, back to the M2s. Yeah, you got. <laughs> well, we've got more. We've got more Apple news um, that came out of this event as well, and this one straight from Apple. So I'm sure it's completely unbiased. macOS Ventura adds powerful productivity tools and new continuity features that make the Mac experience better than ever. I yeah, have to say, I read this article and it said how macOS is the how, how did they put it? Like it was the the most amazing, like yeah. <laughs> most sophisticated operating system in the world. I'm like, I mean, according you to don't, our mother, you don't right click and, and find like copy and paste. You have to, you can't right click. You have to hit the alt. There's only one mouse button. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, so Ventor, this is the name of the of the new OS that's coming out. What are we on now? Big Sur, Catalina, oh. Catalina, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, wait, hang on. Monterey. There we go. Monterey, Monterey is right. the, the current one. Uh, I was surprised. I really thought they were going to skip version 13. Uh, so this is macOS 13, and it, and I was, I was surprised by that, and I was surprised that they named it after Jesse Ventura. I mean, <laughs> usually they stick the to body. California. See, they're calling it the body, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I loved him in Running Man. And, it has uh, no Predator. time to bleed. Which yeah. one? Which and, one was he in Running Man? Which which villain? Was he oh, in? he he was uh, Captain like Captain Courageous. Yeah, something. something like that. Yeah. yeah, one of the hunters. He didn't he actually was, fight him. Remember, he, they did he, the fake CG thing. Right. They, if they had M two processors, it would have looked way better. I, I just want another catchphrase when he was killed because I remember Sub Zero is now Plane Zero. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even want to hear what the lady said about him. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a classic movie. It is indeed. It's a great movie. Killian! It's based on a Stephen King novel, or not even a novel, like a short story. I keep meaning to read it, and I never have. I didn't know that. Oh, but, see, I uh, thought it was the other way around. I that thought Stephen that King wrote I thought the movie was made, and then somebody made a book out of it. Uh, well, now we'll have to find that out. I, I could, was under yeah. the impression that uh, Total yeah, Recall, I know, heard was a short that story. One. Right? And so I might be getting confused. I, I always get confused with these. Yeah, I've never heard it go movie oh. to book. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah. Total Recall was uh, Philip K. Dick. He wrote that one. Yeah. And the it's uh, We'll Remember It For You Wholesale is the name of the story. It's like a page and a half. Very short. That is short. How did they make a two-hour movie out of that? Uh, the same way they made The Hobbit into three movies. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Mac Ventura, uh, <laughs> are you saying the 13 because the hotel you're in doesn't have a 13th floor and you think that this is a uh, a spooky thing? Uh, you know what? I, I don't know if this hotel is a 13th I'm floor sure or not. You're I'm on, on the it. 10th floor, so I'm close. <laughs> you're like, I'm on the um, 14th. It's right after 12. Oh, crap. So <laughs> it's after me. we scrape away Apple's marketing, there's a handful of features in macOS 13 that are actually kind of cool. So let's run through those real quick. The, uh, the first one is they've added a new view that is called Stage Manager. Um, what Stage Manager does is it takes whatever app you're using right now, and puts it in the center of your screen. And then it adds a column on the left side that gives you a thumbnail of every other app you're running. So like in, in Windows, you have that Alt-Tab shortcut you can do to see your apps and move between them. Stage Manager is kind of like that. You just get a quick thumbnail of all the running apps and lets you navigate. So that's a nice little feature that's kind of cool. Um, they are adding more continuity features. So continuity was something they promoted in Monterey quite a bit where you could take an iPad set it next to your Mac and it would just show up as a second monitor. It would you know, allow you to connect and your mouse could move between the two and share the keyboard. Uh, well, now they've gone a step further and set it where you can use your iPhone's camera as a webcam. You just bring your iPhone next to your Mac and it'll see it and it can actually use that as the webcam, which is good because the camera they put in a MacBook is terrible versus the camera that they put in an iPhone, which is amazing. So if you want a high quality webcam, you'll want to get to uh, Mac OS 13, Jesse Ventura, as fast as you can. Uh, and then I'm, I'm sticking with that. That's not going away. Uh, and then the <laughs> last feature that I want to highlight is their new password feature, uh, which they are calling, oh, shoot, I scrolled off it, so now I can't remember what it's called. Um, Passkeys, I think is what it's called. Uh, but Passkeys is actually kind of a neat thing where, you know, on your iPhone, you might have... Uh, uh, face ID or the biometric thumbprint scan, mm -hmm. you know, the finger ID. Well, you can visit web pages or some site that needs to authenticate you. And instead of prompting you for a password, instead, it can send a prompt to your phone where you authenticate with your biometrics, allowing you to use face ID on websites and things. Apple's working close with the Fido Alliance to be able to roll this out to support non-Macs so that even if you're on a Windows machine or Linux or whatever, you go to some website like, say, Facebook or something. And when they authenticate, it just prompts you for the biometrics on your own phone. That's a really cool feature. I'm excited to see that one. And so those are kind of the three main ones that are in the foreground. And there's one background feature which allows them to roll out security updates. Uh, Apple can already push security updates to your machine whenever they want, but they typically require a reboot. So they don't do it very often. Security updates are usually packaged in their kind of monthly version, minor version releases. You kind of have to wait for them. Well, now they've got where they can rapidly roll out security updates 
in the middle of the day with no reboot. So when a security incident happens, they don't have to wait for that night or wait for that next minor version update. They can immediately roll it out to all of their customers and you won't even see it happen because it doesn't require a reboot. It just happens in the background and you're done. So those are all some really cool features that I think, all right, maybe stage manager isn't necessarily worth upgrading, but the other ones make it make it worth the upgrade. That is I'm, cool. I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on that. Like, you know me, I'm not a huge Mac fanboy or whatever, Apple. Um, but when they do something right, I want to say, give them credit, you know, that all that stuff, even stage manager sounds at least pretty cool. The fact that you can install updates and not reboot when it comes to major, you know, major updates and you don't have to do a reboot. That is huge. I mean, Don, you, you know what it's like. You're out there, you're trying to be a sysadmin or whatever. You're trying to keep machines safe, even for your home network. The rebooting of the thing is what kind of kills people from wanting to do it. Is, yeah, like, oh, I'll do that tonight. Right, I got so many tabs open, I'm working in the middle of something, and it just makes people want to put it off, put it off, put it off, put it off. So if I can install updates, zero touch, it doesn't reboot, it doesn't cause any kind of hiccups, if that's how that plays out, that's a big deal. It's very cool. Yeah. And, you know, Monterey, they really focused on supporting the M1 processors. So there wasn't really a killer feature there that made me excited. This one, you can tell they, they stepped back and said, all right, let's focus on giving our end users some more features. And, well, that's what we see. Cool. I do have some updates on Running Man. Uh, I did some research um, while, you, while you were talking there, Don, though I was focused on everything you said. Um, first of all, I didn't realize that it supposedly took place between 2017 and 2019. Uh, so oh, we are past happy. the Running Man yeah. point, uh, and luckily it didn't happen. But uh, I'll give you a very confusing um, sentence here, a uh, couple sentences. Uh, the film story is about blah, 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 a 1982 novel of the same name written by Stephen King but published under the pseudonym Richard Bachman, a lawsuit Determined the movie was plagiarized from the French movie Le Prix du Danger, 1983, which was made after Robert Sheckley's 1958 short story, The Prize of Peril, just like the 1970 German TV movie <laughs> Das Millionspiel. So everyone's stealing everyone's idea. Yeah, apparently there's no end to this. Yeah, the Germans, and then it was stolen by uh, that is crazy uh, by the French and. Uh, what are you gonna do? But World anyway, if only we had a way to settle this, we could all put them in the game. That's what we need to do. Let them figure out. Is we get everybody that wrote this story mm -hmm. or yeah, made we'll some like, variation. We'll find out. And then Sub Zero comes out. <laughs> and we, yeah, and the battery up his ass. And the great, uh, <laughs> yeah, the great equalizer is when you. I mean, come on, let's. We know who wins this battle. That movie rocked. Yeah. Right. That was a great movie. <laughs> the movie was awesome. I don't know. The Germans got a chance though. They they might, but we'll see. The, in the end of the day. Yeah. No. Of course. All right, well... Dweezil Zappa's in it. Come on. <laughs> Man, such... He is. He I want to go back and watch it. It does say that there's talk of a reboot now. Ah, uh, shut up. I, you, nah. you know, they always do that. I'm not Sometimes doing it. Good. You can't make me. Yeah. So will have Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Tom Cruise is the butcher of Bakersfield. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Tom Cruise is probably older than Schwarzenegger yeah. somehow, but he's still... All right, well, let's take a quick break. Uh, then we're going to come back. We've got a couple uh, fun articles to look at, so we're going to do that right after this on TechNado with Don Fazette. This is Josh. Josh spent $2,500 on a week of classroom training for CompTIA A+, and got certified. Josh got a good job that pays $40,000 per year. This is Jeremy. 
Jeremy only spent $299 on a full year of training from IT Pro TV, including A Plus and 300 other courses. Jeremy also got a great job that pays $40,000 per year. Jeremy used the more than $2,200 he saved on IT training for a fabulous tropical vacation. Now, Jeremy is still using his IT Pro TV membership to study for Network Plus and Security Plus to advance his career, but not spending any more money. Since all three are included in his IT Pro TV membership, plus 300 more courses. Don't be like Josh. Choose IT Pro TV for your IT training. The IT Pro TV app is available for iOS and tvOS. The modern user interface makes navigation easy. Recently watched videos can be found on the home screen, as well as our daily live streams. Choose landscape mode for larger viewing. Access the entire course library by clicking on the play icon. Navigate our content by category, certification, and job role. Learn where you want and when you want as a premium annual member by downloading episodes for offline viewing. Watch on the go and pick up later on any of your favorite devices. So head to the App Store and download the IT Pro TV app. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Bazet. A couple more articles to talk about. No, over there. Uh, uh. All right, uh, this next one is part of our dough segment. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, so, do. We should line up his, his mouth so he actually yeah. says it. When... All right, uh, this one comes to us from the great people at theregister.com. DuckDuckGo tries to explain why its browsers won't block some Microsoft web trackers. Uh, is it because Microsoft's giving them money? Wow, you unraveled that with... Uh, just a know, guess. I'm just... Yeah, shot in the dark here. <laughs> yeah, is it, does it have to do with money, Alex? Yeah, would that have anything to do with it? So let's let's talk about DuckDuckGo for a minute because you know their their claim to fame is that they created a search engine that respects the user's privacy. So let, let's remember that that's their number one product is their search engine, and this particular scandal is surrounding their web browser, the DuckDuckGo browser, not necessarily the search engine itself. So uh, a researcher found out that while using the DuckDuckGo web browser on multiple platforms, they tested on, on Windows and Mac, uh, that they noticed certain trackers for Microsoft's LinkedIn and for Microsoft's Bing uh, would still display certain ads that were using tracking to be able to do remarketing and all the various things that they do. And that seemed counterintuitive for a web browser that was designed with a privacy focus. When you look at browsers like the Brave browser, it blocked this stuff. Why isn't the DuckDuckGo browser doing it? Unfortunately, the DuckDuckGo representatives kind of did a response, uh, but they found themselves in an awkward, very dough type situation, <laughs> which is they made a deal with Microsoft that they felt was on the up and up, but the deal included a non-disclosure agreement. And so they can't tell us the deal. All they can do is tell us, we promise Scout's Honor that, 
it's 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 on the up and up and nothing bad is happening here but we are sharing you know that information is allowed i i almost said that they're sharing the data they're not sharing data they're allowing your data to transfer to microsoft directly it's not like it's middlemaning through duckduckgo uh, but they're allowing that to happen those trackers are not being blocked and duckduckgo is not allowed to block them because of a contract that they signed with microsoft because they need to get paid in order to create the DuckDuckGo browser. And it goes back to the age old question of, can we expect a service to be both free and respect our privacy? And I think the answer to that is no. Yeah, well, obviously, when DuckDuckGo was acquired by Cambridge Analytica, uh, we expected some. No, wait, that did not happen. But or they're not allowed to tell us. Not that, that you happened. know of. It. Yeah, they, yeah, that's yeah. part of the NDA, of course. You can either confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, Don. I mean, Either either you're going to pay for the browser, which cause we talked about one recently that was a paid um, uh, new browser. It wasn't Brave. Right. It was somebody else that uh, was going to do something. I mean, remember? a million years ago, I paid the 20 bucks for Opera because it was awesome. And, you know, it was a paid browser when it first came out. But then it went free. And now if you look at Opera today, it's a freaking nightmare, right? Yeah. It's owned by yeah. some... Chinese firm that has Bitcoin mining going on in the background <laughs> while you run the browser oh and like it's just really, really seedy stuff, uh, which is why we have Vivaldi now. But uh, I would gladly pay for a browser. I, it, it's a software package that I use every single day, probably the most important piece of software on my computer. I would gladly pay for that. Hell, I'd pay a hundred bucks a year for a, a browser that didn't mess around and let me, let me use the internet the way we used to. Yeah, I missed that. Did you save your receipt? For opera, oh, for opera, yeah, you, think um, you can go back and find that. Man, I mean, I, that would have been, gee, that would have been in like maybe the year two thousand, <laughs> two thousand and one. In the year two thousand, I, I don't know. I, I might still have the email receipt. I'd have to dig back. Yeah, we should see if, see if yeah. you get your money. Drum back. that thing up, Don. No. I'd like, <laughs> like to find out. Be like, you know what? I don't, I don't like this anymore. Yeah, it was a long time ago. All right. Well, that is a good one. Uh, and and this next article is uh, is going to take a look at who got pwned. Where is that? That's down here. Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! And if I'm reading this right, it's us. Yes. Uh, we are the ones that got <laughs> pwned because this one is from ArsTechnica.com. The meeting owl video conference device used by uh, governments is a security disaster, and it's also used by the Technado team here. Uh, no patch yet for easy-to-hack access point that leaks data and exposes networks to hack. So this is saying that people can get into our meeting or that people can use this as a, as a jumping-off point to get on your network. Uh, so kind of both. Oh, uh, the, the meeting owl is a neat device. If you're if you're not familiar with it, it's a somewhat cone-like shaped device that you can stick on a desk anywhere. Yeah, it looks like uh, an Alexa. It has a 360 yeah. degree camera uh, that looks allows like my kid's to... white noise machine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that it'll make white noise. It definitely sounds like white noise when I'm in half my meetings, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, it's got a 360-degree camera that's able to follow the audio in the room to track to the right person. It does it automatically. It's pretty slick. Uh, and it's also got a, an array of microphones in it. So if you're having a, a meeting with eight people around a table, it's the perfect thing to just stick in the meeting and go. Now, it has two modes of operation. One mode is as a standalone device. You plug it in USB to your laptop, and it just shows up as a web camera and a microphone, and off you go. That's the most simple way, and that's actually how we use ours. We have four of these throughout the organization, uh, and we use them in that standalone mode. 
The other mode is you can connect it to their cloud service and then the, the OWL can actually operate as the meeting hub itself. Like you can automatically connect into the meetings and so on. Um, when you do that, it has some more advanced features and a lot of this particular attack applies to that, but actually both modes have their own vulnerabilities in it. Uh, some of them are pretty bad. So one of them is they found that the API used for the cloud service didn't actually require authentication for most operations. And so you were able to lift customer PII out of their API without authenticating. And that's that's not a good thing. That sounds bad, Don. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they also found where the device defaults to not having a password. So if you're within 30 feet of it, you can use the OWL app on your phone to connect via Bluetooth and actually control the device. But now, even if it's not is, your device. Right. Because yeah, it has no yeah. password. Perfect. And and I mean, you can if you want to test this, Peter. You can be a hacker for a day. Um, Just go turn on. There's the a there should be a meeting owl sitting in yeah. the you know in one of our conference yeah. rooms. And it's about fifty feet from me. Yeah. yeah, right over here. You might be if able to get. If you install the owl app, uh, you can tell it to search, and if you're within thirty feet of it, it'll find that device, and now you can control the camera, so you can move it around, right? Oh, it looks like but, our CEO's in a meeting in there too. <laughs> Let me just jump in on that. Uh, and that's the thing is you can then go a step further and let's say it's being used in standalone mode. Once you're connected with the app, you can sign it up for the cloud service. You can connect it to that next service and then exploit that. And now you've gained access to that meeting and the information that's on it. Uh, they also found where decommissioned devices, when you, you, know, you erase them and sell them on eBay, they still hold some data of the previous owner inside of it. So a lot of big red flags. The, uh, the company that makes the meeting owl has, has come out and said they've got uh, patches and things that are in the works. They're going to be fixing it. They've already fixed several of the things that were identified, which is good. What's bad is that they didn't fix any of this stuff until the researchers went public. Uh, the researchers contacted uh, the meeting owl company and they just were dragging their feet or not taking action. And so, uh, you know, responsible disclosure, they gave them time to fix it. They didn't. So then they went public. And now Meeting Owl is taking some action. So it's unfortunate to see that happen. But uh, but you could say it's the system working the way it's designed. This boggles my mind, though. You hear about this a lot where some security researcher finds a flaw. They do the responsible thing. They contact the organization, say, hey, this seems really bad. Here I am just, just bathing in PII or I have access to people's accounts or whatever the case is. You really need to triage this and, and fix it. And crickets. Months go by, they recontact. Hey, it still doesn't seem to be fixed. And crickets. Or thank you for letting us know. And nothing ever changed. So like, what is the deal with that? I just, I don't understand. If you, if you contacted me and told me I found a huge gaping flaw in your personal security, I would be doing everything I possibly could. Like the panic button would be getting hit. I'll be fixing it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I am a little more lenient, especially on the proximity attacks where the attacker has to be next to the device to attack it. I'm like, all right, all right I, can, I can give you some leeway there. But like their RESTful API, giving out PII unauthenticated, that's a big deal. Like that, that should have been handled a lot faster. So it's unfortunate. Uh, in our case, we don't use that functionality, so it's not something that, that we have to worry about. Um, but we do have to make sure that we set a password on those owls, that we're not just allowing anybody to connect. And it shows that this is this is the challenge of IoT, right? I'm reaching uh, <laughs> in front of you, Don, to yeah. see because I'm, I'm not close enough. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got that big wall of glass between yeah. you and there. Bluetooth doesn't like, like 30 some odd feet is like best case scenario. I'll check this later and I will report yeah. back uh, next yep. week. 
So, you know, that's the challenge of IoT devices like these that, you know, we don't think of them as computers, but they can be attacked. And, uh, you know, especially like this one, it, it's basically a USB webcam for most people, but it's got a lot of logic in it and it can, it can be exploited. Yeah, and hacking into something that has video and audio potentially sensitive oh, meetings see, and things like that. Now, that's... now my hacker brain is going, so buy a bunch of used owls off of eBay, right? And then resell them. Well, first get all the because info then off I of can them. just access them. Yeah, <laughs> first get all the info off. Right, of them. get the info off of them, and then sell those bad boys. And be like, yeah, yeah. Sell them on eBay, and you'll know exactly <laughs> what address it's gone to. Right. It's where you need to do your proximity attack. I could do a proximity attack. attack. I could connect to it to the API. It'd be better if, if you're like, let's say you're in like New York City where yeah. you could sell them on like Craigslist. Oh, locals, man, you, you would know. be swimming in some goods. Mm, get that PII. So. Yeah. Well, so. now let's, let's use New York City as an example, right? So if you've got skyscrapers, in theory, the attacker could be upstairs or downstairs, mm -hmm. you know, on the floor above or right. below and be within 30 feet easy uh, yeah. of the device. They would just have the floor in between them. So that, that might be a, a little more reasonable. Yeah, if you got 30-foot ceilings, you can't yeah. afford that place. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 That's, that's <laughs> the mitigation. Yeah. That, yeah. That's why the meeting owl company didn't respond so quickly. They were like, look, anybody could just increase their ceiling size to 30 yeah. feet yeah. and yeah. problem solved. Well, now they'll start selling the, uh, the owl Faraday cage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is a cage you can put your bird in. Yeah, and uh, it actually <laughs> makes it so you can't use the thing, but neither can but, hackers. Hey, it's not being hacked. Exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a new paperweight that looked like an owl. Yeah, so that's great. All right, we want to let you know about a couple things coming up. First, we've got a couple of webinars uh, hitting the scene real soon. First, we've got all things cybersecurity uh, Thursday, June sixteenth. That's with Daniel Lowry and Zach Hill. We're going to be talking about making your way into the cybersecurity field. Um, Zach's takes know, everything you got. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learning to wait. I like how you got that reference. Making your way in the world today. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to get away? Right now we have to pay license yep. for this episode. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think with that version royalty. we don't have to pay anything for that. <laughs> that's fair use. Still, yeah. like, no, no, keep it. Sometimes you won't. Get, it's uh, obvious that was parody, right? That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. Parody, yeah. All right, and then uh, coming up after that, uh, the following week, June twenty third, the future of project management. What's to come for PMP and CAPM exams? That's with Chris Ward and Kelly Mack. Uh, so check that out as well over at itpro.tv slash webinars. And while you're on that internet, why don't you go over to technado.com? You can check out the latest episodes. Uh, there they are. Uh, get some swag. You can... Why has it got all Don's face on it? Because he's, it's about him or something. Technado Don Pizzette. Very vain. Uh, uh, the guy who's vague. never here. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Uh, you can contact us. You can also uh, learn more about IT Pro TV and get 30% off coupon code for the lifetime of your IT Pro TV personal Did membership. you say lifetime? I did. For So as long as I'm alive. Yeah, which is I not long that. in the Running Man game. <laughs> yeah. No, no, uh, no. Sub-Zero comes But out. that discount is still worth it. So uh, head over to technator.com, check that out. Also, uh, you can get uh, information about team trials and uh, and find out the great information. I was surprised Buzzsaw didn't last any longer than he did. Yeah. You seem like a tough guy. Yeah. You know who I like is uh, Nacho Cheese. Nacho <laughs> Or no, Nacho's... Not just Bill Grande. What was the guy in uh, in Idiocracy? There was like the Running Man scene at the end. Mancho. Yeah, but Camacho was the president. He was the president. But the but the guy that was like the fighter who comes out to fight him yeah. in the end in the car. What's his name? Was like Nacho's Nacho Bell Grande. Grande or something like that. He was sponsored by. Dude, that would be super awesome. If yeah. That was his name. Uh, I think it is. But. Uh, <laughs> 
Idiocracy. Good, good selection. Uh, we might have to save that one for the next episode. Yeah, we yeah. will. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for watching. And, Don, uh, thanks for joining us all the way from uh, San Wherever Francisco there in RSA. And I think we might actually have you back in this chair next week. Is that right? I should be, barring something else madness-type happening. Fantastic. Looking forward. Brain spores. To that. Oh yeah, monkeypox. <laughs> monkeypox right. yeah. be keeping that's not the new big thing, right? <laughs> yeah, these large bumps on me. Yeah, well, please stay <laughs> out there if you get those. But uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks for uh, you all joining us as well at home. We'll see you next week right here on Technado with Tom Pissette.